Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of For Light and Life. I'm your host, Lucy, and today we are sharing my favorite chapter of the book, Chapter 8. There are some really deep themes explored here. A lot of metaphors, loads of action, and of course, friendship. All that is possible because of Addie, so make sure to follow her podcast, Jedi Archives, and give her tons of support. Additionally, make sure you've heard chapters 1 through 7 before continuing with this episode, and check out the VCU fan film on Empire Radio's YouTube channel. There's a link for all that in the description. Hi there, this is Lucy in editing. I apologize for the lateness of this episode. It has been an unforeseeably busy couple of weeks for me. There is a very little possibility that I'll be able to release chapters 9 and 10 on time either, Hopefully, Chapter 9 will be released on November 12th and Chapter 10 on the 19th. Thank you all for your patience and for sticking with this book, and I hope you enjoy these next belated chapters. Back to the episode. Now, I was talking with my mom the other day, and I realized I didn't debrief several things with you for the final scene in Chapter 5. You remember the whole killing Nora to destroy the tracker thing? So, first... I want to highly emphasize that you should not try to copy Nora's actions in that moment. If you ever feel like things are so hopeless that you just want to die, please talk to a trusted adult. There is always a way out. The most important thing to note here is that Lucy and Nora, as hard as they try, they're nowhere near as responsible or mature as they think they are. That is just true of basically every person who doesn't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain responsible for making good choices. It's true of me and Addie. It's true of teenage Ahsoka, Ezra, and Sabine. It's just the universal teenage experience. Both Nora and Lucy make some real bad decisions in this scene. Nora should have reached out to Leia and the rest of Command and told them what was happening and to start the evacuation right away. They had time. She would not have needed to sacrifice her life. Lucy should also have consulted an adult when Nora proposed this to her. But because the situation was so isolated, it was two teenagers alone in a room thinking they had no time and no one else to turn to, neither of them made a good choice. I can guarantee you if Dakai or Cam or Leia or any functioning adult had been there, the scene would have had a very different outcome. Another factor that came into this was the behavior of role models in both their lives. They live with the resistance, where much older people who sacrifice themselves to save the galaxy are regarded as heroes. Children copy what adults around them do. That is just a fact. We also have to consider the setting in the world they're living in, when the galaxy's in this constant state of war for many generations, so many lives, including those of children, are being disrupted, and it's not uncommon for people in your life to be killed. It's very different from the world I live in, dare I say, the world you all live in, and it absolutely comes into play with these choices. My final thought here, as nice as Nora's speech about how strong Lucy is may initially seem, is it strength to be able to kill your friends? Is it strength to continue with a decision that you feel is morally wrong and will hurt a lot of people that your 13-year-old buddy thinks is a great idea? Just think about that and the repercussions there. 
All this to say, there are a lot of things these young characters do that are far from wise and that I do not support or recommend. And thank you so much, Mom, for taking the time to talk to me about this and show me this scene from a different perspective. Everything you said is very valid. Anyway, back to chapter 8. To remind you where we left off, chapter 7 began when the team receives a call from Kylo Ren telling Nora that if she, Lucy, and Akai surrender, Henry and Cam will be spared, and that some Mandalorians are helping the First Order. In the process of escaping to Tatooine, Dakai tells Lucy his concern that those Mandalorians are their parents, sparking a lot of flashbacks and guilt. Drash welcomes them to Boba's palace and comforts Nora about the chaos of life. Nora rediscovers her family mural and finds out that Lucy and Dakai are her distant cousins. But before they can get too comfortable here, Henry proposes that the only way they can truly be safe is to take down Kylo Ren. Now, as much as I love this chapter, there is some content to warn you about. There is emotional manipulation, mention of torture, intense hand-to-hand combat, parent bullies, mass murder, and generally a lot of discussion of death. It sounds like a lot, and you are very welcome to stop here if this doesn't seem like something you're okay with, but it is much more manageable in context, I will say. Lastly, Addie and I do not own Star Wars or any of its existing characters, places, plot, etc., but the original characters here are the intellectual property of me and Addie. With all this out of the way, let's transition into Chapter 8. Chapter 8, Striking Back Let's talk strategy, Cam said, pressing the large hollow projector's power button. It flickered to life to reveal a diagram of the First Order Dreadnought. The team was gathered in the Fett Palace conference room, a wide, windowless space with ten chairs facing the projector in the back. Henry had opted to stand, and Lucy had turned her chair backwards, leaving only Nora and Dakai to be seated like civilized people. Cam turned back to his audience. Ren's still going to be in his big old ship, searching for us, instead of at his base. So far, all we have for our plan is that Nora will distract them by pretending to turn herself in, again, and even that's questionable. The engineer zoomed in on one side of the dreadnought's image and pointed to a boxy shape underneath the bridge. This is the main hangar, where she will dock, likely in an escape pod. A good number of stormtroopers will rush over and deal with that. The idea is, with everyone distracted by Nora, the rest of us will sneak in and get into all sorts of trouble. We should already be inside when Nora gets caught, Lucy spoke up. Her chin rested on her crossed forearms as she tilted her head the hologram. They'll be on very high alert when she shows up, since they're sure we'll make an appearance. I say we use the distraction as a time to plant the bombs, not as a time to get inside. Henry jumped in. That's the other thing. Regardless of when it happens, we'd never be able to board in the Dreadlock Rock. We'll need to stow away on a ship that's already approved to dock. Shooting up with excitement, Nora exclaimed, That's perfect, Henry. We don't have to worry about boarding the Dreadnought without them knowing any ship has landed, since the ship is already supposed to land. The only problem is getting onto that smaller vessel. Well, that part isn't a problem, reasoned Cam. There are stormtrooper transports on just about every core and first order controlled planet, Just find one that's heading for Ren's Dreadnought, steal armor from a few troopers, and you'll fit right in. 
Everyone was quiet for a minute as they processed this. They had an actual plan, one that they all knew this time, and it just might work. Of course, Dakai wasn't a big fan of Stormtrooper armor, but that was the least worrisome part of the plan. Well, sounds like we'll have a lot of work to do, he noted. Let's get started. Over the next day and a half, they prepared as much as they were able to. Cam used his hacking skills to find a troop carrier on Geonosis that was scheduled to meet with Ren's flagship soon. Since Kylo Ren would never believe Nora had managed to steal Lucy's ship and take it there without Lucy and the others either hiding on board or tracking it, Henry and Nora had bought a smaller cargo transport that she would use to turn herself in. And with quite a few disagreements, Lucy and Dakai brainstormed the details of how they would all get out again. But soon, the day came to set the plan in motion. With Cam waiting in the Drolly Kara as the getaway driver, and Nora waiting in the newly named Batir vessel, Lucy, Dakai, and Henry approached the troop transport, only to discover the universe was already straying from the plan. There were only two stormtroopers standing guard, meaning one less set of armor than they needed. No problem, Lucy said. I'll be right back. She scampered back into town and made quick work of the nearest single trooper, procuring the armor and leaving the unconscious woman behind a rocky dune. As suspected, the plastoid suit was much clunkier than Mandalorian armor, but it did the job. The trio only had to stand guard for 20 minutes before the rest of the squadron returned for takeoff. Thankfully, stormtroopers weren't the chatty type and didn't seem suspicious of the imposters. Entering the dreadnought turned out to be not as big a problem as they had feared, since there were enough stormtroopers doing their own things that three walking away from the group wouldn't be watched too closely. But that was where the success ended. Dakai got caught in the middle of attaching a bomb to a hallway ceiling, which meant he made a lot of noise in shooting the officer who found him, almost completely compromising the mission. Lucy was starting to have some major doubts by the time they had planted all but three of the bombs. We'll have to split up, Henry said, handing an explosive to each of his teammates. I'll head to the main generator, or as close as I can get without being caught. Be careful, warned Dakai, looking over his shoulder at the empty hallway. I'll take the engine room. Lucy tossed the metal sphere into the air and caught it again. Then I'll plant this one right into the emergency override system. Let's regroup back in this hallway after and give Nora the all clear. She headed down the passage at a brisk walk, just slow enough to avoid suspicion. Even though the suffocating helmet hid her identity much more than the previous officer uniform had, she didn't want to risk any interaction that could give herself away. After a subtle glance behind her to make sure she was alone, Lucy hit the control panel next to a door on the left and slipped inside the brightly lit room. Aside from a few stations of computers and controls, the wall was covered in large metal panels with labels such as Backup Power Supply and Emergency Self-Destruct. She was saddened to know that the First Order would willingly sacrifice the lives of thousands of their employees just to keep their enemies away from any possible resources. Of course, she and her team were about to cause their deaths anyway, but that was entirely different, wasn't it? Lucy shook herself and pressed the circular button on top of the explosive in her hands. A crimson light flickered on and flashed every couple seconds. The blast would definitely destroy the whole room and a good part of all the surrounding hallways, but she still opened the backup power supply hatch and deliberately nestled it inside the web of wires for maximum damage. Faith 190 to Phantom 128, do you copy? A young voice buzzed through her comlink. Raising it to her face, Lucy answered. This is Phantom 128, I copy. What is it? I... I don't think I can wait any longer. If you're all finished, can I start heading over? I want to get this over with. 
Lucy was not sure that they were all finished, but she knew Nora must be getting into her own head by now, sitting all alone in the cargo ship, waiting to be captured. Besides, Henry and Dakai must have made significant progress by now, and they didn't necessarily need all the bombs we planted before Nora even approached. Sure, start heading down. We've got your back. Remember that, okay? This is the last time you'll have to be in the First Order's hands. There was relief in Nora's voice as she replied. Thank you. I trust you. Firing up the engines now. And may the force be with you. Right back at ya, Lucy said softly. Having secured the explosive, she closed the door and marched back into the hallway. Before she had made it ten steps, another voice crackled over her helmet speakers. Um, sis, we've got a problem. Kind of a really big one, you see. The detonator is broken. Henry says it'll take over an hour to fix with some fancy tools we don't have, and if we can't get it repaired... All our bombs are useless, Lucy finished for him, a knot of dread tangling her stomach. And Nora will be heading straight into a trap. Criff. What are we going to do? Dakai moaned for the fourth time, staring in agony at the graveyard of detonator pieces Henry had strewn across the crate. They were temporarily parked in a large storage room, where they had the highest chance of finding the replacement parts they needed, but the chances did not look good. There's no need to panic, Henry chastised, although there was a definite edge to his voice as he sifted through the contents of a nearby box. We're going to figure this out, Dakai. Just wait until your sister comes back and has a brilliant idea to save us. Dakai was surprised to find only sincerity, not mockery, in Henry's comments. Right on cue, Lucy burst through the door and immediately shook her head. This isn't going to work, she declared, surveying the room. There are too many crates searched, and there's no guarantee the parts we need will even be here. We need a faster plan. Do you have something in mind? Dakai found once more that there was genuine curiosity in his teammate's question. Sometimes he forgot people existed who didn't cram sarcasm and frustration into each syllable. I think so. Lucy tapped her fingers against their respective opposite elbows. We could just plant new bombs. We might not have any that work with a different detonator, but I bet the First Order does. We'll just add them to the same places as before, and if we're lucky, the force of the blast will activate the originals as well. Taking a moment to process this, Dakai blinked several times and tried to remember where he had seen the room with the large black doors. There's a weapons inventory a few corridors away. That'll be the place to look. I'm down with this plan. It is the quickest thing we've got. Henry? The assistant medic nodded vigorously. Works for me. If you think the two of you can do that yourselves, I'll head down to the Batir and start preparing our escape. Great. Good luck with that. Dakai, you're with me. Dakai followed his sister out of the storage room, and soon enough, they were tearing down the hallways once again. It was all he could do not to shout, slow down to her. Even though they were in a bit of time crunch by now, they still shouldn't risk getting caught. Oh, Lucy said over her shoulder. By the way, Nora's about to get here within the next ten minutes. And you didn't think we should know that sooner? Relax, we can be fast. Which door is it? It's this really big black one. Here. Dakai slammed a fist onto the control panel and dashed into the room. Unfortunately, he may have been a bit too hasty, and the startled stormtrooper with a clipboard stared back at him. Without thinking, Dakai grabbed his blaster and fired four shots at the intruder. Gosh, that was so helpful! Thanks a lot for shooting first, thinking later, and making a lot of noise when we might have been able to just walk in without suspicion, given that we're wearing their armor. Lucy stepped over the body with a small growl. A sheepish heat broke across his face. 
though, in his defense, eliminating a potentially curious adversary made their immediate job easier. He ran over to the looming sidewall, spotted with rows of shiny black spheres, resting in groups of 16 per detonator. There were no visual straps or attachments keeping the explosives in place, and his theory that it was magnetized was confirmed when he pulled several off and felt the invisible force tug back. This is great news! Lucy had already grabbed a bag from a nearby hook and was filling it with the loot. Twelve replacements, plus a few extras. If we each take six in a hurry, I'm sure we can get this done in fifteen minutes. Can't forget this, she added, grabbing the rectangular detonator. But you said Nora would be here in ten. Work with me here, okay? I'll take the ones on the top two floors, you take the bottom half. Don't worry, we can do this. She tossed him another bag and scrambled for the door. If you say so, sis, Dekai muttered. If you say so. Nora's hands were shaking as the petir landed in the hangar of the First Order Dreadnought. Despite knowing she was doing this to protect her friends, she couldn't help the selfish thoughts stabbing through her head. I hate being here. I'm terrified of being controlled. I want to go back to the Resistance and see Poe and forget everything that's happened. But she could never forget what she'd been through. Not only because the bleak First Order hallways haunted her dreams, but also for the positive memory she had gained. If not for being captured with Poe in the first place, she wouldn't have met Lucy, Dekai, or Henry. She wouldn't trade those friendships for the galaxy. It was the thought of her friends that fueled her as she lowered the ramp and stepped into the view of three stormtroopers warily marching towards her. You're not authorized to dock. State your name and purpose. I'm Norlin Faith Fett, Nora announced coolly. I think your supreme leader will recognize me. I'm the girl who beat him in decor. The troops glanced at each other, then back at her. You? One asked All right, kid, let's see some identification. No need. A dark, blood-red voice boomed across the hangar. Welcome, Faith. We've been expecting you. You made the wise choice, I see. I just want my friends to be safe, she told him bitterly, as the man stalked closer. You promised me you wouldn't hurt them. And in return, you were supposed to bring me those Mandalorian children. You think they would let me turn myself in? I snuck to to save them. I'm not letting you hurt them either. For a moment, Ren was silent as he towered over her. I'll deal with them later. He finally spat. Take her to the interrogation room. We're not letting her escape again. It is the fourth time this has happened. Maybe you'll finally win. Nora allowed herself that small act of defiance as the stormtrooper slapped binders onto her hands and led her roughly away from her last tie at freedom. The harsh restraints of the interrogation chair were more familiar than she would have liked them to be, as was the cold timber of Ren's voice as he paced around her. Here we are again. I hope you've learned by now that being brave doesn't get you anywhere. Wouldn't it be nice to stop fighting, stop hurting? Struck by how close his words were to her secret yearning, Nora said harshly, I hope you've learned by now that my friends always come through for me. Wouldn't it be nice to stop being humiliated by a child? Growling softly, the man stopped his march to sneer in her ear. I suggest you stop putting on this front and start feeling the gravity of where you are and what's going on. Well, I know what's going on. I'm talking to an anger-prone man-child who has no respect for girls like me. Nora hadn't meant to burst out quite so viciously, but it was too late to take it back. 
and felt almost relieving to get some of her anger out. Slop on her cheek still stung as she flinched back from his hand. You, child, are nothing! You mean nothing, you are worth nothing, and no one will grieve when you disappear forever, says the guy who obsessively tracks me down across the galaxy. But if you want to stall and blubber with your meaningless threats, by all means, do that. I'm used to idiots. A dark crimson blade was at her neck in a heartbeat. Your wretched friends can't save you this time, though I can't wait to get my hands on them. Every available soldier is stationed around this room and guarding every possible exit and entrance. I hope you weren't counting on that as part of your plan. Nora tried very hard not to turn as pale as she felt. Surely he was bluffing. Or, even if it wasn't a bluff, her team would find a way around this, wouldn't they? Nora couldn't be sure anymore, not with Ren's lies twisting every truth inside her. He deactivated his saber and held Nora's chin in a firm grip. There's a familiar face outside who's very eager to see you. But don't worry, I'll be back. Breathing heavily, Nora stared at the floor as the door opened and closed, leaving her with her thoughts for one relieving moment. Her safety was short-lived. When her cell was unsealed a second time, the figure who stepped inside wasn't who she expected. I can't believe you're Clan Fett's heir, grumbled the man adorned in silver and amethyst purple armor. His helmet rested under one arm, exposing his straight black hair and hardened facial features. When he addressed her next, his tone had sharp orange streaks in it. You're not much more than the babbling two-year-old you were when I last saw you. Nora scowled. Uncle Mason, I presume? You're not much more than Dimbley you've always been. I understand you've been conspiring with that Aberati who calls herself my daughter. I wouldn't get your hopes up that she's coming for you. She tends to run away in the face of trouble. Nora hated how easily the man could insult his own children. How his tone held no emotion other than disgust. How he showed no remorse for anything he had done. She's not a traitor! She's the bravest person I know, and much more honorable than you. You've been awful to her and Dakai. You're a dubber. She was pleased to see him flinch away slightly at being called no longer a parent. It was an extremely shameful phrase, and yet she had no regrets about saying it. From what she had heard about him, it was the truth. Well, don't you worry, Varadik. I'm sure they'll both have their turn to rant and rage when we catch them inevitably trying to rescue you. In the meantime, let's get to know each other. Great. What's your favorite color? <sighs> Hiding behind humor, I see. A classic move, but not one that works on me. You see, I can tell a lot about a person. You put up so many barriers, so many layers to hide from your fear, but I can see it. And you're afraid of so many things. You're afraid for yourself if your friends don't come, but you wish you weren't. You're afraid for them if they do come. You feel guilty that they'll get hurt for you. But most of all, you're afraid that you'll be trapped here forever, and no one will ever know or care what happened to Norlin Fett. You haven't done enough to be remembered. You haven't done enough for anyone to care. With each of his sharp words, Nora felt a slap on her face stronger than the one Brennan had given her. She scrambled to stay composed, but she was reeling, wondering how he could know her weakness. Lies, she bit out. All lies. I'm not falling for your mind games. But you already are. You know that your friends are tired of constantly running after you, saving your neck time and time again. 
Their lives would be so much easier without you in them. After all, you're only a little girl with powers you can't control and a hunger to help people who can't be helped. What could you possibly give them besides trouble? A lump was forming in her throat. That's not true, she said. But she was no longer certain of what was true and what was an exaggeration. Was she just a burden? Isn't it? Haven't you noticed them hurting because of you? Don't you see how they're happier without you? No, she breathed. We're a team. We need each other. Her statement turned up at the end, becoming a question and said, Oh, Nora, wouldn't it feel nice to be needed? To have a purpose? You could help so many people if you worked with us. You could learn about your powers and make a difference. We need you, Nora. We would never let you be forgotten. Won't you help us? For a moment, the offer hung in the air between them, seeming so tempting, like the answer to all her problems. Red did need her. She could see that. She would certainly impact so many people with her power, if only she could learn about it. Would they help her learn? Would she finally be... wanted? Underneath the seemingly gentle sheen in Mason's eyes, something malevolent flickered under it, and Nora was focused once more. I'll never help you, she spat. Nothing you can do to trick me will change that. Then you're a fool, Mason told her sharply. Every trace of his false sympathy vanished. People are going to hurt for this, Norlin. I hope you're prepared for that. You won't catch them, she shouted after him as the Mandalorian turned his back on her and began to exit the cell. My friends, my family, are smarter than that. You can't hurt them. The biggest family I've ever had, she thought to herself. And the one I trust the most. I just hope they can get me out of this mess before I crack and we've all truly lost. For the purpose of staying unnoticed, Lucy did her best to suppress the swear rising in her throat. There were so many stormtroopers guarding the interrogation room. There were barely four square feet of empty floor space between the precise rows of boots, and for each pair of shoes, there was also a blaster capable of ending a life in one shot. Not that the first shot ever hit its target, of course. Her original plan, roll a single bomb into the room and march straight in, was out of the question. The explosive was strong, but not enough to instantly kill two dozen armed stormtroopers before any one of them shot her. However, she had no intention of calling for backup. Henry had to protect the ship, Dakai was still putting up explosives, and Lucy could do this. She just needed to figure out how. The bag of bombs weighed heavily on her mind and shoulder. She had all four extras. Four chances to get this right. Or one chance to get all four right. Marching straight through wasn't going to work. Entering from any side wouldn't either, not when the whole room was completely surrounded. But there was still one direction they hadn't accounted for. Up. Her armor would make too much noise, and would be too bulky, so she shoved it off and discarded it in what appeared to be a custodial closet. She was back in her gray, resistance gray jumpsuit. Accessing the vent would be most convenient inside the closet, out of view, and hopefully out of hearing distance. Picking up her comlink, she announced, but quietly, so there's a slight change of plan, guys. Lucy, Lucy, hang on, don't do anything reckless. Despite Dekai's warning, they both knew he couldn't do anything to stop her, and she was definitely going to do something just a bit reckless. How drastic 
is this change? Henry's voice asked, significantly calmer than the other man's. It's fine. I'm just using a different entrance than we talked about and using a couple more explosives than we talked about. But everything else is almost the same. She could practically hear Dekai's glove smacking his helmeted forehead. Wait, stay right there. I'm coming. Not if you want Nora to be safe, you aren't. Think about the purpose of this mission and how badly we need this. Lucy paused for a moment to let this sink in. Anyway, Henry, signal to Cam to start moving in when you feel the big explosion rocking the ship. See you on the other side. Flicking the comm off and returning it to her pocket before he could argue, she turned to the metal shelf that towered above her. It turned out to be bolted to the wall, making it a sufficient ladder. After using a discarded screwdriver to pry open the vent, all she had to do was squirm her way into the narrow crawlspace. There was barely enough room to turn around, but it would suffice. Takai would hate this, he thought, grinning at the idea of her older brother anxiously crawling through the cramped space. Oddly enough, she felt lighter here, more like her old self when she could take on an army of Gungans or be interrogated by an Inquisitor and still come out feeling hopeful. Below her, the hallway was eerily quiet. The slits in the vent grate were just wide enough to see the rows of white helmets, and from overhead, their number seemed even greater. A thrill fluttered through her veins as she eased the four spheres out of the bag and safely into the walkway. If it was a matter of having too much firepower versus too little, she would take the former option and risk going down with her enemies. Without making a single creak, Lucy gingerly lifted up the grate in front of her and set it aside, doing the same with the panel further away. She grasped the detonator and flicked a switch on its side, temporarily letting the bombs explode on impact instead of having to activate them all at once. Taking a silent breath, she shoved a pair of explosives through each of the open grates, threw herself backward, and curled into a protective ball, the world dissolved into white flames. Nora would have preferred to be left alone in the cell for the duration of her captivity. But as usual, the First Order had other plans. Not ten minutes after Mason had left, she had another visitor. One just as malicious. Surprised to see me? General Hux asked crisply, his starched gray uniform matching the First Order's hallways in neatness. Not really. Whenever Ren goes somewhere, you usually stumble along behind him. Sneering, Hux stepped aside to reveal a hovering, shiny interrogation droid. Long needles, electroprods, and a variety of blades stuck out from its spherical base, adding fear to its arsenal of weapons. We're going to try something new today, he announced. Some people can resist pain very efficiently, but ultimately, everyone has a breaking point. Let's find yours. As the device drew closer to a chair, Nora's breaths began to shudder. She had guessed this might happen. Torture came in the bag of surrendering to the First Order, but she had thought twenty minutes wouldn't be long enough for it to begin. Maybe she wasn't as strong as she thought. Maybe her friends couldn't get to her after all, maybe. Without warning, the door in a good chunk of the surrounding wall collapsed in a raging, flame-looking fury. Smoke began to suffocate the room as Hux looked around wildly, shielding his face with his hands. The interrogation droid stumbled out of the air with a sizzle, revealing an achingly familiar figure holding a raised blaster. Nora could have cried with relief as a bright stun laser crackled through the air and knocked into Hux, who was coughing paddling enough that he didn't make any move for his own blaster. Before he even hit the ground, 
Lucy was at Nora's side, unlocking her restraints and pulling her into a hug. Nora was surprised at the tenderness in the young woman's embrace that was so different from her snarky persona. I'll be okay, she murmured. Let's get out of here. The two dashed out of the room before flames completely overtook the doorway. Nora tried not to focus on the brutal damage outside her cell, but there were so many bodies. Even though she knew it had been necessary for the rescue, and that many more would have to die that day, seeing the death firsthand made her feel sick. Don't think about that, Lucy said, seeming to read Nora's thoughts. It's for the best. Just keep- As they rounded the first corner, her voice trailed off, and her sprint came to a clumsy halt. Well, 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 a deep, rough voice said. I wondered when you would make an appearance. Lucy seemed frozen in place, staring straight ahead at the man in front of them, her whole body shaking. She took a stumbling step backward. This wasn't the determined girl during Nora's previous rescue. This wasn't even the angry patient in the medbay. This was a new, small, trapped version of Lucy that Nora could never had predicted. Mason Vick studied his daughter for a moment with sharp, reset eyes that looked both identical and opposite to hers. Feeling almost as if she were intruding on a private conversation, Nora glanced between the two, any words she might have said frozen on her tongue. A crooked, sneering smile spread across Mason's face. Hux was right. You've gotten even weaker since you abandoned us in your make-believe mission. Hux told you about me? Lucy's voice was so thin, so unlike herself. And there was something else in her tone that suggested she still wanted her parents' approval after all these years. Tugging on Lucy's arm, Nora tried to signal her to stop listening to Mason, to realize that she was in the right and he was in the wrong. She didn't get so much as a glance. Spitting a dark laugh, the Mandalorian said, He was eager to update me on all your foolishness when we realized how much we all want you dead and dealt with. You wouldn't. Lucy's words were coming hastily now, jumbling into a panicked string of syllables. Not even you could kill your own daughter. You wouldn't. You know I could still be useful to the Mandalorians, and I've been brave and I fought just like you and Mom raised me to. Mason's armored fish flashed. Lucy was on the ground now, arms curling around her stomach from the sudden blow, shoulders heaving. You don't fight at all how we've raised you. We taught you to see the blow coming. He kicked at her drawing a line of blood across her cheek. She let out a small cry, then clamped her jaw shut. Watching helplessly, Nora felt like she was watching a crashing vehicle. Her body refused all commands. She shouted at it. We taught you to retaliate and catch your opponent off guard. Crunch. Whimper. We taught you never to run from a fight. Slam. Sob. We gave you and that sorry excuse for a brother of yours everything you could ever want, everything you could ever need, and you- Suddenly, Lucy's hand shot up and caught Mason's fist before he could nail her shoulder. Nora's heartbeat hiccuped. From the looks of things, Mason was just as dazed as she was. Lucy used that moment of shock and yanked his arm forward so he lost his balance. Rising to her feet unsteadily, she turned to face her father. No. You didn't give us everything we wanted. Or everything we needed. The man quickly recovered and made a move to swipe her feet out from underneath her. 
but she jumped over his foot and kicked at his stomach. He let out a, a small grunt. You know what we needed? Mason charged forward and grabbed her shoulders. Sliding around him, Lucy slammed a fist to the side of his head. Parents who said goodnight to their kids. A mom who did more than show us how to kill. A dad who did more than tell us exactly how little we were worth to him. Three rapid-fire blows to his head sent him crashing to the ground. Lucy stood over him, steady, tall, and filled with the strength that can be had only after a moment of vulnerability. Dad, you might have needed us to make you feel in control of something, but we have never needed you to make us strong. With that, Lucy Vig delivered a final punch and Mason went limp. The corner hung around the two girls for a moment, waited with heavy breaths and wisps of embers and smoke. Taking a tentative step forward, Nora said, Are... is... are we okay? Lucy gave her a tired but genuine smile. We are for now, but I'd feel a lot safer with some distance between us and this ship. Let's head out. The young girl seemed to stand even more confidently than she had five minutes ago. Lucy moved swiftly through the body of the ship, making a beeline for the main hangar. Each time they happened across the storm to her too, Nora winced as Lucy gunned them down without second thought. For the best. For the best. For the best. With a final surge of speed, they bursted into the expansive hangar to find the Batu's weapons and to guy on foot firing at a wave of ivory armor. Lucy nodded towards their ride. I'll cover you. Let's go. Taking advantage of the gap, the boys had shot in the wall of troopers. Nora pelted forward, flinching at the sound of lasers behind her. More lives. It's for the best. As they reached the lowered entry ramp, Dakai beckoned for them to take them forward unnecessarily. Come on, Henry's ready. As soon as they hit the top of the ramp, he slammed a fist into the controls to raise it. Nora found herself throwing her arms around Dakai, overcome by a sudden rush of relief. Thank you, she whispered. Thank you all so much. Don't mention it, kiddo, he said, patting her back. However, we do need to finish escaping and blowing the ship to bits. Dakai, take over weapon systems for Henry. Lucy instructed, pushing a rectangular device into Nora's palm before heading for the cabin. As soon as we've got enough distance, Nora, you'll detonate bombs. Let's finish this, people! Following the older girl to the wide viewport, Nora stared down at the detonator. A simple push of a button would destroy the entire ship, ending hundreds of thousands of lives. Did she really do that? Kill so many people? Only so she and her friends could live? For the best? A rumble filled the ship as Lucy and Henry lifted off, the guys barrage showering the troopers below. Nora's view of the hangar was blocked as the ship turned towards the fizzling blue shield that kept the harsh space climate out. A moment later, the speck of black void was the only thing filling the viewport. Ties incoming. Henry called over his shoulder. Six that I can see. On it. The guy's voice crackled through the dashboard speaker. Whoa. That's a lot more than six now. They're flooding out of the hangar. I don't think we can take them all. Then something colossal and silver streaked past the window. Nora's face lit up as Cam's voice filled the cabin. I hope I'm not too late for the action. Right on time, Cam. Lucy told him, a note of triumph in her tone. A deep clang sounded from the left and the two ships docked. 
All right, Nora, we're clear. Let's send it up in flames. Nodding sharply, Nora placed her thumb on the smooth red button, then stopped. Did she have the heart to bring more deaths into the galaxy? She was a member of the Resistance and a medic. She was supposed to support life. Why did her team deserve to live more than the stormtroopers and officers just doing their job? Any time now, Nora, Lucy said, her voice strained. That means now. Staring at her task, her heart in her throat, Nora couldn't press the button any more than she could with a planet into existence. Why did she hold the power over life and death? What if she was a stormtrooper, just trying to make a living and wanted to go home to her family? What if- Nora! She looked up and blocked eyes with Lucy, a stream of thoughts and fears and feelings rushing between them. Lucy's gaze hardened, and in one smooth movement, snatched the detonator out of Nora's grasp and activated the bombs. A poison-laced dagger slammed into her gut as the forest let out a wail. It was all she could do to drop to the floor and lean against the wall as the bonfire of lives went out around her, each flame suffocated and snuffed out in an instant. Darkness fell across her world for what seemed like minutes, hours, days. Then all of a sudden, the pain lessened to a manageable throb, enough for her to feel the hands grasping her shoulders. Hey, Nora, what happened? Say something, cuz... Her eyes fluttered open, a swell of grief rushing in her as she looked into Takai's worried face. Everyone died, she choked out. All that light, all that light, gone. How could we? I, I feel so lost. His shoulders slumped. That's on Lucy, he said. She should never have given you that detonator. That was highly irresponsible of her. Hey, what? How was I supposed to know? She was the only person with empty hands. Lucy was standing next to them now, crossing her arms, anger marring her face. Nora vaguely registered the streaks of hyperspace off the viewport. Couldn't even do it, she mumbled, but they didn't seem to hear her. Empty isn't the only thing her hands were. She's 13. What possessed you to give a 13-year-old a detonator to kill a whole ton of people? I killed a man when I was 12, and this wasn't even directly hurting anyone, it was just pushing a button. This is what we planned to happen! How is that a problem? The fact that you don't see the problem is the problem. Nora's not you, Lucy. She's not some cold-hearted killer. His words pierced the air, hanging between them for a moment. Unsteady breaths filled time and space, and then fell. Dakai scrambled to his feet. No, no, that came out so wrong. Luce, listen to me. You know I didn't mean it like that. His hand brushed his sister's arm, and she jerked back. Don't touch me. I might spontaneously murder you and forget about it, remember? I'm sorry. The guy called after her as Luce stalked away, punching the door controls that separated the two ships and storming into the craw. He rubbed his face and muttered, I'm such a fool. I'm such a fool. Henry looked up from where he had been quietly sitting through the argument. Well, he said carefully, we're safe now. They can't chase us anymore. I'm going to go talk to her, Dakai said, heading for the passage into the other ship. Can you send her to find me afterward? Nora requested, finding her voice again. 
I need to treat her injuries. He paused. What injuries? Just go talk to her. You'll see. With a heavy heart, Nora picked herself up and sat down again in the empty pilot's chair, pulling her knees to her chest. The mission had been a success. They were safe. So why did it feel like they had lost all over again? Gently rapping on the door to his sister's quarters, the ceiling light fixtures illuminating the empty hallway around him, Dekai said, Knock, knock. That's redundant. Lucy shot back through the door, her tone dry. There's no need to knock and say knock. A small smile twitched on his lips. Can I come in? I don't know. Aren't you worried about being trapped in a room with a cold-hearted killer like me? Face falling, Dekai told her, I'm so sorry, Luce. I swear I didn't mean to say it, and I feel awful. I know. Which part? All the parts. I know you didn't mean it. I just... There's some truth to it. I'm not as affected by killing people as others are, as I should be. Sometimes I wonder if that's because of how we were raised, or maybe it's just something wrong with me. Lucy, there is nothing wrong with you. After a moment's silence, the door slid open with a soft whoosh. She stood in front of him, had lowered, dark hair encircling her face, looking so much younger than seventeen. I guess you can come in. Thanks. Dekai stepped inside and took a seat on the edge of the cot, the mattress sinking underneath him. Glancing around the sparse room, he noted the lighting was warmer than it was in the hallway. Lucy plopped down next to him, though she kept her distance. I'm surprised you haven't said anything yet, she said. About what? Sighing, she slowly lifted her head, allowing the light to bathe her face. Dekai could not begin to comprehend how he'd missed it earlier. Dark bruises were forming on Lucy's neck and cheek. Her nose was crooked, and her lip had a crust of dried blood. For a moment, it was all he could do to open and close his mouth silently. Questions dove through his head, but the first one he was able to voice was, Who did this to you? Her expression was unreadable as she reached for his hands. Dad? Several curses ricocheted out of his mouth before he had time to consider them. Of course, he had known there was a slight chance their parents would be on the dreadnought as part of their team-up with Ren. He just hadn't for a second considered that they would run into each other in the massive ship grounds. I beat him up too, Lucy offered. And that was the straw that broke the Tauntaun's back. Dekai began to sob. An ugly, choking cry for so many things. Lucy was hurt. Their parents were just as capable of cruelty as ever. He had shouted at her when he should have been comforting her. The people he cared about kept being shoved into danger. He didn't know how to feel about Nora's reaction to the explosive. They never seemed truly safe. He cried because he wished his baby sister could live in a universe where she never had to fight her parents. Feeling her lean against him, Dekai folded Lucy into a hug and let her rest her head in his chest. It's okay, she murmured. We're all gonna be okay. Let it out. Scrubbing his eyes with his palm, he hiccups. How are you not a mess right now? I mean, I am. It's just that I'm covered in blood and you're covered in snotty tears. Similar. Despite himself, Dekai's sniffles slid into body-shaking laughter. Lucy began to laugh too, and together they smiled through the pain. After everything, they still had each other. That was enough to keep the nightmares at bay. After a tearful reunion with Cam, 
several rounds of questions and concerns, and ceremoniously releasing the dreaded detonator out the airlock. Nora and Henry returned to the comfortable silence of gazing through the viewport. Neither had much to say in the aftermath of the mission, but neither seemed uncomfortable by this. Having pulled away from the current burden that was the Force, the light footsteps were Nora's only indication of a newcomer. Dakai says I have to let you fix my nose, Lucy said, sounding solemnly resigned to this fact. Feel free to stick a bandage on it and call it healed. It's going to need a little more than a bandage, Nora informed her, standing up and rolling her neck. It's broken. Gosh, I couldn't tell between the stabbing pain and the crookedness. All right, all right. Let's get it fixed. Excuse me, Henry. The young man waved her off. Norris, I'll be here. Making a quick pit stop at her quarters to grab her medical kit, Nora led Lucy to the storage room that now acted as the Kraz med bay. You may have a seat, she said, motioning to a low metal crate against the wall. Yes, head junior medic, sir. Dare I ask how many broken noses you have fixed? Plenty, Nora assured her, preparing a cold compress. Well, I've got plenty of training, and then I got to test it a couple of times. But don't worry, I know what I'm doing. I feel very assured. Nora laughed. Relax. I'll have you loosen your shoulders and take a deep breath. Through your mouth, mind you. Both girls sat back and let out heavy breaths. You've got some swelling, and your bridge does not look particularly straight. Not to alarm you, but I'm going to have to hold it back into place. And let's just say that's not fun for your ass. I've had less fun experiences today. Just do what you need to do. Wonderful. Just take a deep breath for me and try not to tense. If you can help it, don't flinch. Clasping both hands around her patient's nose, Nora gave a countdown. And three, two, one. In one fluid motion, she jerked the bone back into place. There you go! Miraculously, Lucy's only reaction was a quick, forceful blink. No flinch, he noted. Now, do you believe I can handle stuff? Nora's eyebrows drew together, and she put a hand on Lucy's shoulder. She did flinch at that. Oh, I'm sorry, Nora said, quickly withdrawing her hand. No, it's fine. Thanks for the help. Chugging, Lucy began to stand up. Oh, no, you don't. At least let me put back down your bruises. They're bruises, Nora, she said in exasperation, but sat down again nonetheless. Nora retrieved a roll of back patches and began applying one to the older girl's cheek. She thought of Lucy's reaction to the unexpected contact and cleared her throat. Lucy, I am not like your parents. No one on the team is. None of us would ever manipulate you or hurt you to make you scared of us. I just thought I should tell you that we're on your side and we're always going to be. I know. Giving Lucy a small smile, Nora brushed her hair out of her face and reached for the next patch. Lucy's eyes widened. Nora, your cheek! What happened? Did, did someone hit you? Wincing as she realized the mark that must have formed there, she looked away and said, Yeah, but it's nothing. Not as bad as yours. Norlin, how badly did they hurt you? Lucy pressed, her tone holding a blaze of fear and fury. Don't worry about it. I'm the medic. It's my job to worry about you. 
you're my priority. Battling away Nora's attempt to buy more Bacta, Lucy forced the girl to make eye contact. That doesn't answer my question. Did my dad hurt you? No, he didn't touch me. It was just Ren. He was angry at something I said. Well, I'm glad he's dead. Nora's jaw dropped. Lucy! Through all her anger at the First Order, Lucy had never said anything about wanting someone dead. Nora didn't think anyone deserved to die, no matter how awful they had acted in life. That's a terrible thing to say. Well, he was a terrible person. Hurting a 13-year-old is unacceptable. So is hurting a 17-year-old. Did you want your dad to die too? Nora merely regretted the words when Lucy stiffened. I'm sorry, I- No. Lucy said softly. I didn't. But I also... did? The two were quiet for a minute, letting Nora get back to her work. When she had covered all the major injuries with the healing gel and still couldn't think of a response to the previous conversation, she simply said, Thank you for rescuing me again. Even if getting captured was part of the plan this time. Lucy offered a half-hearted smirk. Anytime. But I'm really sorry about the detonator. Dakai's right. That was stupid of me. I know it's awful to have so many lives in your hands like that. I forgive you. Nora assured her. Just please don't make me kill anyone again. Nodding sharply. Lucy stood and dusted her hands off. Thank you for treating me, head junior medic. And thank you for trusting me. See you around. With the first task finished, Nora headed for the cabin to check on the others. Dakai and Henry were talking quietly in the pilot and co-pilot seats as Cam worked on a exposed set of wires. They looked up when she entered. How are you holding up? Nora was surprised that it was Henry who addressed her first. I'm okay, she answered. How are you guys? Any injuries? We all made it through without a scratch, Cam said. Honestly, I'm surprised things went as well as they did. Do you think Ren's gone for good? She admitted. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see if anyone comes after us. Grabbing Wrench from his toolbox, Cam snorted. If we're all kidnapped by stormtroopers tomorrow, we'll know he made it. But... Hey, that was a major victory for the Resistance, even if he somehow did survive. Good work, team. Nora grinned, before addressing the whole team. Does anyone need help with anything? No thanks, Nora. Dakai told her, nodding in the direction of her quarters. Just get some rest. It's been a long day for all of us. It has been. She sadly agreed as she walked back to her quarters. But because of it, maybe things will start to get better. Okay, 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 okay. Jumping right into my comments. Jumping right into my comments. I love that as soon as Lucy announces there's a change of plan, Dakai knows she's going to make a questionable choice, and Henry's just chilling and trying to keep the plan moving in the background. To me, Mason's character is a metaphor for the negative voice inside our heads. He brings up both Nora's and Lucy's biggest fears and uses that to manipulate them, makes them question their self-worth and the path in life they're on, and his fight with Lucy represents the internal struggle we face with that voice. 
Ultimately, Nora and Lucy are able to beat this voice and remain in control of their emotions. Nora beats Mason by looking into his soul and realizing his true intentions. And Lucy's victory is triggered by the mention of Dakai, who is the person she loves most in the galaxy and happens to share that childhood experience. And for the record, this is one of those things that is very unreflective of myself and my experiences. My dad is one of the most thoughtful and loving people I know and is basically the exact opposite of Mason. I live in a very safe household. This isn't me revealing dark secrets in writing, just so you know. Aside from that metaphor, Lucy and Mason's fight is an important event for Lucy's character development. We have seen her throughout the book and even the VCU film that she struggles with her past and with her family, and this is a way she finally confronts that and makes a sort of peace with it, although naturally that experience is not just going to magically disappear. It is a landmark on her road of healing and restores some of her self-confidence. My favorite part of this chapter is the exploration of how, in this war, people are forced to take lives sometimes. Everyone responds to that differently, it leads to mixed emotions, and just the moral debate here in general. If you haven't already heard my interview with Mr. Manzo about the moral debate of blowing up the Death Star, this is a great time to do that because it is very relevant to this chapter. Nora's thoughts about blowing up the Dreadnought are heavily based on what we discussed in that interview. She thinks about the workers who are just trying to support their families, the people who don't truly support the First Order's ideals. She's been trained to nourish life as a medic, which makes it all the harder to go against that mindset. Additionally, she is constantly repeating Lucy's words in her head, it's for the best, because she wants to be a good teammate and stay in the group's mentality, but the further along they go, this mantra starts to become a question. Is it for the best? Who gets to decide what the best is? Ultimately, Nora isn't able to activate the bombs, which I think is a testament to her empathy and her strength. It is not at all weak to value life and to stay true to your moral compass. So if you're going to leave this chapter with one big takeaway, it should be that Nora was not weak. Now, we see Lucy having quite the opposite feeling. She's taking out stormtroopers left and right, she doesn't understand Nora's hesitancy, and she ultimately detonates the bombs seemingly without a second thought. Dakai's voice of reason in that scene is so vital. Everything he says is true. Nora is only 13 and has a very kind and sensitive soul. She shouldn't be forced to kill people, and Lucy really needs a reality check. Granted, he does slip up quite badly in the process, but he's not wrong. It gets Lucy thinking about her own morals, and to be fair, being raised Mandalorian is very different from being raised in a Tatooine palace or really anywhere else in terms of one's comfort with violence. You know, for a franchise that has so many wars and deaths, Star Wars really doesn't bring up that moral dilemma often, and I like that Addie and I get to address it because that's something I know my mom struggles with while trying to watch Star Wars, and I'm sure many other people do too. I love that even while Lucy and Dakai are talking about some dark, painful topics, they find ways to smile and laugh together. Lucy's sarcastic and sardonic sense of humor is quite fun to write. It's just another way for light to shine through the darkness. As the saying goes, you laugh so you don't cry. Edition 3 of Lucy not caring about medical treatment. Nora turns on work mode the second anyone around her is hurt, which involves a hilariously strict attitude. 
She tries to carry everyone else's burdens and then not let them carry hers, which is not particularly healthy. However, it is healthy for Nora and Lucy to resolve the whole detonator conflict, and I'm glad Nora has set this boundary for herself of not taking any lives. There is a lot to think about here, a lot to process, and I hope you have enjoyed this chapter. We did get a voicemail, so let's transition. Here's a message from a first-time sender, my friend Marcus. Hey Lucy, I just finished watching episode 7. Absolutely fantastic, if you ask me. Better than episode 6. And I did not see that twist at the end, which I won't which I won't spoil for anyone who's not seen that yet. So go watch that if you haven't. But I am very excited right now for what episode 8 has. But since this is going on episode 8, I should say excited for episode 9. Keep up the good work. Thank you for your support and kind words, Marcus. It honestly means so much to me. I'm glad you're liking the book. Sometimes I doubt if anyone besides Addie and I likes it nearly as much as we do. Given everything you said, I am very curious what you think of this latest chapter, so feel free to send in another voicemail with your thoughts. Maybe chapter 8 will be even higher than 7 in your ranking, or not, which is completely fine too. Thank you for the voicemail, Marcus. We don't have a drabble this week, so let's play some closing words. If you have any thoughts about this episode, you want to contact me, or you just have a minute to help the show grow, here are some ways you can do so. You can send me an email through my fan email, which is for lightandlife.podcast at gmail.com. This is great if you have something you want to tell me, but for whatever reason, you can't send in a voicemail. That being said, you can absolutely send me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. There's a link in the description for that. As long as it is family-friendly and you have not specifically asked me not to, then I will play it on the show. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. This helps new people come over and find the podcast. Go ahead and follow the show if you like these sort of episodes. Comes out every Sunday. Finally, please share the show with your community so our community can grow. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Lucy, and let's look for the light and life in our worlds together.